we're going to talk about, as I said, our house today. Since Brother Delmer's house was dissolved, we're going to, we're going to kind of look at it in that perspective. But notice this here in verse 8 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It says that we are troubled on every side. Troubled on every side. I'm just going to do a little bit of exegesis here for you because of the, the pertinent things here. Uh, and, and we're all going to be troubled, you know, in our life. It's the, the, the fallacy of the modern day church today is that people think that if you have any trouble, you must not be in the will of God. If bad things happen and, and challenges that we face that uh, somehow or another, you must not be doing what you should be doing. You must not be praying enough. You must, I mean, all you got to do is look at the historical view of the church and see what they went through. I mean, they went through things that I can honestly say right now that I would not have made it from some of the things that they went. I mean, just it, it just it's it's beyond description what they went through. I mean, to to be put on a stake and a fire built under you, and it's burned slowly so that your feet and all, and then the, the your your feet burn, and then the 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 grease from your body drips down on the fire, which keeps it going. And they they Nero lined both sides of the road with people Christians on stakes so that the workers would have light to work on the road at night. Now, I'd have said, Jesus, just, I mean, I'd have done something to make one of those guards so angry he would have took me out. Because I was not, but you know what those people, they trusted in the Lord so much. And their love was so strong that they sang in the Spirit while they were burning. And they say, the history says that it drove Nero insane because of that singing. So we're troubled. There's things that's going to happen in our lives. It doesn't mean that you've not prayed enough. The devil hates us, doesn't he? And he wants us out of the way. I don't really think the devil cares whether or not we get saved. Because he's never going to be saved. He's going to spend eternity in hell. In the lake of fire, rather. And uh, So he doesn't really care whether people get saved or not. But what he does care is, are you a force to reckon with? And if we're not, he doesn't care. I mean, he, didn't, he, he likes nothing more than people to come in on Sunday mornings, sit there, be nice, pay the tithes. He doesn't even care about that. Uh, sing a few songs and just fulfill a religious duty. That's the mindset he wants the church to have. And sadly enough, a lot of church people think that's all that it takes. But it's much more than this. This thing is real. I, I'm thinking... Personally, I'm thinking that with what's going to happen with our government over the next four years, you know, we're going to have to know whether we love the Lord or not. You know, I mean, I will suffer persecution for him. I won't suffer persecution when somebody's threatening her or my home. They will die with lead poisoning. Okay? But, uh, but as far as for the Lord... I'd suffer for him. So he says here, and Paul is setting this in the Corinthian church here, he says, he said, we're, dist we're troubled on every side, we're distressed, we are per 
perplexed, but we're not in despair. Uh, let me let me look that in this word distressed. It is the word stick on a rail, uh, which basically means to be in a narrow place. We're in a straight place. We're 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 in other words, we're cramped. He said we're distressed. Uh, we're we're sorely uh, straightened in our circumstances, but he said we're not perplexed, and that's apareo, and that means that we're we're not perplexed. We're not without resource. Uh, it means to be in straits, to be left wanting, to be embarrassed, to be in doubt, not to know which way to turn, to be at a loss with oneself, to be in doubt, not to know how to decide or what to do, or or to be perplexed. He says we're, we're we are you know we're faced that, but notice he says. We're not in despair about it. And the word despair here, exoxone repair, which means basically to be utterly at loss, meaning that you may be faced in a situation of life. I don't know what to do. That precious lady, Delmer's wife, as we went over there to, to see her, you know, after the initial thing of this, she, she, she said, I do not know what to do. But when we're faced with those kind of situations, I mean, when we lose a spouse, I've been there. Uh, when, we, when we lose loved ones, we, we need to realize you, we don't have to be in despair. Yeah, we're going to face these straightened circumstances. We're going to be uh, at a loss as to what to do or, or uh, you know, for a resource. But then we need to realize that we have Him. We have the Lord Jesus. And He's right there with us to help us. Uh, he said that we're persecuted. You know what that is. But we're not forsaken. It's interesting that word forsaken there is is lipo, which means basically to abandon. We are not deserted. We are not helpless. Uh, we're not left behind to leave surviving. That's that's not our situation here. You say, yeah, but I know people that have been. It's because they haven't called on him. They haven't. Re, they haven't. Re, you know responded to his resource to, to his power uh, we're cast down but we're not destroyed we're always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our what in our body we're in this body he wants his life manifested in our bodies the devil does not he wants our bodies to gain the ascendancy to be sense ruled so that we'll never tap into this rich resource of the spirit that we have and, and give out from that. So, th so that's what his, his uh, statement here is. He said, verse 11, For we which are, live are always delivered unto death. What does that mean? It's the Greek word ia. Ia, it means to be perpetually incessantly, invariably, at any and every time, when according to the circumstances, something is or ought to be done again. And in other words, we're delivered to the point, all the way to the point where that it's either life or death. We, you know, we shared Wednesday night, Romans 12. Uh, it said, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. So, that we're, we're, we're delivered to that. He says, so, 
for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our flesh. So then, death works in us, but life in you. In other words, when we die out to ourselves, it produces life in other people. That's, that needs to be on the forefront of our understanding. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you for all things or for your sakes that the abundance of grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. And then in verse 16 he says, For though we, uh, for, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, the inward man is renewed day by day. And it's the Greek word anakanio which basically means to cause to grow, to new. In other words, impossible to age. That is the state of your born-again human spirit, is that as we grow in Him, it's renewed every day. Think about that now. Think about that, uh, uh, Daisy, little Daisy. Actually, you're getting to where you're not going to be called little Daisy anymore. (laughs) But think about that, honey. Our spirit that's born again, you're born again, right? You have a brand new spirit. It's just like the spirit of Christ. Now, that spirit in you, which is the real you, never grows old. It's ageless. It cannot ever be a day old. It's brand new every day. Now, let me give you you an idea here. When Adam was formed in this earth, his body was the same way. It never aged. It never aged. Now the reason that mankind then lived several hundred years, 969 was the longest, I think that was Methuselah. His his name means when he shall die, it shall fall. He died in April of that year, and the flood hit in April. You know what they always say about April showers. Well, it didn't bring May flowers that time. But uh, man's bodies had to learn how to die. It didn't know how to die. It, it was so full of the life of God that it took nearly a thousand years for those bodies to learn to die. And then as, they, as, that, as death began reigning in, in the world, because that sin came and death through sin, when, as death began reigning in the world, people's lifespans began to be shorter. Now if we live 70, 80 years, we think we're blessed. And isn't it interesting how, Brother Clay, how that we spend a lot of our lives trying to keep this thing going. And, and, you know, our, our focus, and which you can't blame people. I mean, my Lord, we, we want to live long on the earth. But we get duped into thinking that we can do it without God. We can do it on our own by eating right, exercising. You can prolong your life that way, your physical life. You can. The Bible says a bodily exercise profiteth little. That means a little bit. It mean that we're not supposed to do it. You know, it profits some. Why? Because it, it helps our body live longer. And preachers like me that get up that's overweight 
and preach the word of God and all this stuff and die early because of heart disease or whatever. That wasn't God's plan. That was not God's will. It was just us not taking care of our bodies. And I, I am guilty of that. If I, if I die today, do not say, well, it was his time. No. God wants us to live long on the earth. Amen? It wasn't God's will for Delmer to die at 66 years old. It wasn't God's will. So we can't, we can't fault God or, you know, the, 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 the point of view where that everything happens as God plans it and, you know, it's going to happen. No, no, no. There's, there's ways that we can shorten our life. There's ways that we can lengthen our life. And believe me, God wants us to lengthen. He, he said, with long life will I satisfy you and show you my salvation. His salvation is what causes us to have long life. It's soteria. Remember, we've been talking about that. So, so our inward man is renewed every day. It doesn't grow old. And it's, it's, it's really important that we focus our attention on the aspect of our spirit. Because when we, when we get our spiritual mind renewed, not our physical mind, not our natural mind, mind uh, it, it memorizes it memorizes and learns how to act you you can teach your own natural mind how to act how are we supposed to act in this and that's that's what people call mind renewal but it's not uh, spiritual mind renewal is as your spirit gains ascendancy in your life through understanding the the, the divine mysteries that that we who we are in Christ Jesus uh, it will it begins to direct your actions See, and that's the will of God. He, he wants us to become spirit conscious, listening to your spirit as to what to do. And your spirit will go flow through your five physical senses, you know, to carry out things. But your five physical senses was never meant to be the administrator of your life. See, and that, that's why it's so important to learn to walk by your spirit, because your spirit will have you do things that just absolutely is stupid to the flesh. It's foolishness, the Bible says. The way of the Holy Spirit, the way of your walk of your spirit, it's foolishness to your natural man. He'll say, you're crazy. And people that are not spiritually minded will tell you you're crazy. I mean, just let me pick some stupid thing here. What, what if you were at a United grocery store walking down the aisle and all of a sudden you had an overwhelming urge in your from deep inside here to walk up somebody and just hit them right in the stomach with your fist. Well, now, first of all, you would have to deal with your mind because your mind would say, you will go to jail if you do this. But, th but you can't get rid of that feeling. So you walk up to this person, you hit, I know this has happened. It happened on a, uh, a platform at a, at, a, at a big revival meeting. You walk up to that person, you hit them right square in the stomach, they fall on the floor, start squirming, and then all of a sudden they stop, they get up, and they said, there's no pain anymore. I had stomach cancer and now it's gone. See. So you see how the dynamic of arguing with your natural mind as opposed to obeying in here. Now let me tell you, if, if, if that thought comes to you, you better make sure that it's God and not... <laughs> Not just because brother Stanley said I can do that. No, you know, you know, don't don't because uh, Jack Cole, he was a great great healing evangelist back in the fifties, and uh, he he died early because he didn't take care of his body. He weighed over three hundred pounds. 
he didn't walk in love toward people and he didn't uh, control the money in his ministry the way he should. Kenneth E. Hagin was sent by the Holy Spirit to tell him and he did and Jack ignored him and he died. The Lord took him on home. But he, he did that to a man uh, that was brought in on a stretcher and he hit him in the stomach and his, his ministry manager sitting on the platform, he said, my God, we're going to be sued for everything we've got. And it wasn't but just three or four minutes. That man that had been brought in on a stretcher dying with stomach cancer was up on his feet running around the sawdust floor on that tent meeting, running around the worshiping and praising God because he was instantly healed. Well, some Jack Coites, little preachers, were following him, started hitting people, and they got in trouble, went to jail and all that stuff. So these things have to be done by the Spirit, not, not by your natural mind. A lot of ministry today is done by, pe- by men's natural minds. And I don't want you to be discouraged uh, with the TV preachers and all that. I don't really watch them. We, we watch, uh, who was that guy this morning we were watching? Yeah, Dan Moeller. He's always good. Uh, and, and a few more. It's always things that will build you up. and not. I'm really disillusioned with a lot of the prophets now because... One of them, Jeremiah Johnson, came out and he wrote a letter and did an announcement. And I'm, I want to apologize because I prophesied that Trump would win a second term this time. And he said I, I was wrong. So, you know, we, we need to take those things with a grain of salt. Anymore, I think a good way would be just to, uh, well, we'll wait and see. And that's the way they did in the Old Testament. They wait and see. If the prophet was from God, it came to pass. If not, he was a false prophet. So that's pretty safe there. But but let's get back to this concept here. Uh, let's just drop down to verse 1 of chapter 5. So he says, We know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved. Now this, this word, uh, earthly house, it's basically talking about, uh, it's oikia. It's talking about a, an inhabited edifice or a dwelling. And so, so what, what is it talking about, Daniel? If, we, if he says, if our earthly house is dissolved, what's he talking about? What, what is your earthly house? Body. That's right. So we can say that. If our earthly body, the body that we're living in, is dissolved, and let's, let's just look. I could have written all this down, but I've got it right here. I'll just tell you what it is. It's a kataluo. It means to disunite, dissolve, to destroy, demolish, overthrow, render vain, deprive of success, bring to nothing, to subvert. So all of those, all of those words describes that dissolve. So, so what do we think that word dissolve means then? Die. If our, if our earthly house that we live in is dissolved or, I mean, if you don't believe it, uh, just think about it that uh, when your body dies, it dissolves in the grave. It dissolves. You've heard me talk about uh, the uh, Lance Pauley who owned a funeral home and, and was a member of my church in Florida. He, he, we and, he and I, were, he, I would ride with him in the, in the hearse delivering the body to the graveside. And he, 
He said, you know, he said, it really bothers me. He said, these people spend thousands and thousands of dollars on keeping their loved one preserved. And he said, it's just not. He said, if they only knew what their loved one looked like in three months. He said, they wouldn't do that. He said, and this was his belief. He said, I believe that a good old fashioned pine box is the best thing because nature takes over. The worms do their thing. Because this is just an earthly house. Preserving it like the Egyptians have tried to do thousands of years ago never worked. They didn't rise. There's actually a preacher that is buried in a Cadillac in Cleveland, Tennessee. He was, he'd started his own little Pentecostal group and he had prophesied that he was going to, if he died, he was going to raise again the third day. So they buried him in his Cadillac in this big grave. And there's people still today, and this was probably 40 years ago, 50, 45. There's people still holding a vigil at that grave waiting on him to rise up. That's dumb before daylight, ain't it? So he says, if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands. What that means, not made with, it's, it's not manufactured. We have this already. Now I'm going to share a personal belief that I've not had very long. Within the past six months, this has formed in my spirit. That when we die, we don't get our glorified body at that point in time. We have a spiritual body. A spiritual body. Meaning that your spirit body looks just like your body. But there's a difference in a spiritual body and and a glorified body. Just same as there's a difference in, in in a physical body and a spiritual body. They look the same. We're all the same look. But my belief is now that that everybody in heaven, except Jesus, except Jesus and Elijah and Enoch, they're the only three individuals with actual physical bodies. Jesus is the only one with the glorified body. Elijah and Enoch have their, just think about that, their bodies are seven thousand some odd years old. I bet they look old, don't you? (laughs) Maybe not. Maybe not. But, at the day when Jesus Christ comes, at the rapture, it says that we will not prevent the dead in Christ shall rise first. We won't prevent them. Meaning this, that they are going to come and manifest here alongside us with their glorified bodies that's when they get theirs that's when we get ours and then we go back for seven years with the Lord and then come back certain amounts of people and rule and reign with him a thousand years and then it's my belief ever who hears this on tape is going to say my God stay away from that place it's my belief that we are going to be uh, put in charge of different universes and celestial things around the, around the universe uh, to carry on the work of God the way he intended it in the first place. See? Adam's fail was not God's fail. It was just an interruption in what he wanted to do. See? 
Now, so let's get off of that and get back to this earth. He said, if, we, if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building, a house of God, or, excuse me, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, meaning that it never grows old. For in this we groan earnestly to be clothed upon with our house from heaven. Now there's where I think he's talking about the glorified body. He said we're, we're earnestly desiring to be clothed upon. I can't hardly wait to get mine. I mean you guys can see up here since I've been here two years how much hair I've lost. Uh, when I get my glorified body I'll have the full count back. Because God knows the, the very number of hairs on your head. And I, I believe we can get our original count. Don't you? Amen. Right, so in other words, I mean, I, I'm being facetious. But, but our glorified body is going to be per perfect. It's not going to have flaws. It's not going to have uh, places. Uh, the only place on uh, uh, Jesus' body that shows where he was crucified is the holes in his hands here. I think maybe somebody said the side too. But, but as far as the, the beating that he took at, at Calvary, uh, at his crucifixion, and I mean, it, it, they said that uh, we would, in our modern vernacular, we would say he looked like hamburger meat hanging on a cross because he was beaten so bad. So, so our, our glorified body won't, won't bear any of the marks that we have. Paul, it is said, still bears the marks in his body uh, in heaven because he wanted to. He wanted to show his love and what he went through for his love for the Lord Jesus. Y'all get anything out of this? Yeah. Does it make any sense? I, mean, I just want to put Delmer's life, his body, his house in perspective here. Because I guarantee you, if, if the Lord's allowing him to listen to this today, he's out there saying, Amen, brother. <laughs> uh, we'll think that anyway. But, uh, but he, you know, he's in a different arena now. I'm going to do part of his funeral tomorrow in Guymon. And we're going to take the church van. If anybody wants to go, you're welcome to, to go with us up there. It's at 1.30 tomorrow. But uh, he says, for, for in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan. We groan. Well, let's see what that word groan is. Stenazzo. Means to groan. Being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon. Now, right there is the difference between somebody that is committing suicide and somebody that's just wanting to go to heaven. See? Somebody that's wanting to commit suicide is wanting to end this physical body. And by the way, suicide doesn't ensure that you go to hell, suicide is a representation of a mental problem mental and emotional problem. And if someone is born again and gets driven by the devil to that point and he kills himself, he goes to heaven. He's just going to realize when he gets there, I could have stood on the word of God. I could have overcome this. Yeah, we will. Uh, people that commit suicide, along with people that just die, that's not born again, like, for example, someone that is so incredibly depressed, so despondent, not knowing God, and commits suicide. Immediately they are in, located in hell. 
and they are experiencing one of two emotions constantly for the rest of eternity. They're going to experience extreme depression, anxiety, a million times worse than they ever did on earth. And the reason they committed suicide was because these light afflictions that we face here. And then their emotions are going to switch to anger. And they're going to curse the vilest language against God and everybody that they could imagine. And those are the two emotions that go from one to the other for eternity when people are in hell. Because we basically, as human beings, have three emotions. Joy, anger, and sadness. And I know there's branches off of each one of those. But uh, in heaven, the only one we have is joy. In the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. Doesn't that sound good? Makes me want to go. Glory to God. So we groan in this tabernacle being burdened. Not, not because we want to be unclothed, but clothed upon. So that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now the word swallowed up is the same word that's translated over in uh, 1 Peter 5. Uh, be vigilant. Be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's the word swallowed up. It's the same, same Greek word. So he's wanting to devour. He's wanting to swallow us up with evil and and, uh, you know, means, means things. Mean, you know, just uh, horrible, horrible lifestyles. Right? He wants to swallow us up like that. Well, when we are clothed with our body from heaven, then mortality, this that we experience right now, this is mortality. You know what mortality means? Daisy, you know what mortality means? You know what mortality means? How about you, honey? You want mortality? You want to know? You know what? You know what? You know what a mortician is? Y'all ain't teaching them nothing. A mortician, a mortician is a funeral home guy that prepares dead bodies. And the word mort there is a word which means death. I've always wondered why they call them mortgages. But mortality is swallowed. Mortality means death doomed. So these bodies here are subject, we're, they're, they're subject to, to death. They're subject to pain and, and heartache and, and death. So, so that's what Paul's saying here. He wants, if we focus in on the life of God and we get our bodies, then our mortality, these, these death-doomed bodies will dissolve. There'll be no more. They'll be swallowed up by life and we'll have our new body. Amen. I mean, I'm kind of jealous Delmer got in on this before the rest of us did. I can't say that at a funeral tomorrow, so don't <laughs> don't worry about that. But because I'm sure his family wants him here, and which he he should have been, you know, that was not the the will of God. So verse five, then now he that hath wrought us, worked us, for the self same thing is God, who also has given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in this body, 
We are absent from the Lord. You say, yeah, but I thought he lived with us. It's not talking about that. It's talking about the fact that we are not conjugally, conjugally associated with him here. You know, we're, we're, we're physically dislocated from him. See? Although he's in us, his presence is here. All of the effects of him is, is in our lives and all that kind of thing. But, but physically, we're not joined. One day we will be, uh, but now we're absent. And this is why the parenthetical statement of verse 7 is there. For, because, this is the reason we walk by faith and not by sight. See, that was a real hang-up with the disciples. The reason, you know, and I think I shared some of this Wednesday, if not, I was getting to, uh, is that the disciples were very limited in their walk of the Spirit until God visited, uh, Jesus visited Paul on the road to Damascus and and downloaded him. uh, And, and of course, Jesus spent uh, quite a bit of time with Paul in the desert teaching him these revelations. They call it the Pauline revelation. And so if you'll know, historically, if you look at the four Gospels, they were not formulated until after Paul's revelation. Because God sent Paul to them to bring them up to to snuff about the, the revelation of Christ in us, the hope of glory. They didn't know that. And you know why? Because they knew Jesus after his flesh not after the Spirit. We know Him after the Spirit. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to realize and get a hold of the fact that, that we may really be at a disadvantage if Jesus walked in here and sat down on one of these chairs with us today. Because that would be a manifestation that we would always look to. It's sort of like me telling you about not wanting miracles. If you, if you have a miracle, it'll, it'll really... Uh, cause your faith to be weaker because you want to depend on that. See, I know as a little boy, you've heard me talk about jumping off of those stairs and being rescued by supernaturally by that angel and was floated down there and stood up. Uh, I know I didn't, I didn't have the, the presence of mind to rationalize, but I know that apparently it made me think I could always do that because it wasn't but three or four months later there was a huge bush in front of our porch, and our porch was probably six, eight feet above the ground. And I jumped off the porch over that bush and broke my arm. And so, apparently, in my little mind, I was thinking, you know, I can fly. I can fly. And I, and I, and I really thought, probably, that I could. But I know many times throughout my life since then, I've wanted to revert and say, I know I can do this because you'll rescue me. See, uh, I've had dreams about just taking off like Superman. And in my dreams, I would start getting lower, closer and closer to the ground and saying, what am I going to do? Uh, but but see, you understand what I'm saying? Trying to rely on the supernatural is really not the way to live our lives. It's better to never, ever have to have a miracle than to need one. We need to live a way in which we can walk in health uh, in the wisdom of God rather than getting to the point where we're in the hospital and we need somebody to raise us up. You understand? Not that that's wrong. It's just that we should strive to live a life where we never need any. 
and, and the, by the same token, live a life where that we can go and help someone in those areas too. We can be the one the miracles come through, see. Uh, but to turn it back on the church, I don't think God ever intended that. It needs to be turned outward. You know, we need to be secure in, in the things of God, be well educated in the spirit, uh, in, in the word of God, so that we can be a force to reckon with out there in the world. Unfortunately, the devil has done a great job in turning the church inward, having programs, and you come to us, we're not going to go to you, and we're going to, you know, uh, just have a, a, you know, three songs, a holy hush, three more songs, and an offering, and preach and go home. You know, and, and that, that seems to be the, the extent of many people's religious experience, and it's, it's so sad it's never meant to be that way. Y'all get anything out of this? I'm just kind of off the cuff with you today. Probably going to see more of that. You know, it's, it's Augie's fault. Remember what he said to me at the meeting last time he was here? In fact, later on he told me a whole lot more. He said, I couldn't say some of this in public. But he told me, he said, your teaching annoying is going to be increased. So maybe that's what this is. I don't know. Maybe it's because I didn't, wasn't in the mood to dig out a big message for you or something. Well, let's see. He says, therefore, we're always confident knowing that while we are at home in this body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor that whether we, whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. Whether we're, whether we're here, we want acceptance. You know, Romans 12, 1 and 2 again. That you may prove out what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God. So if we're here, absent from the Lord, we're accepted. Or whether we're present with Him, we're accepted. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted of him. For, and here's the verse I've been wanting to get to. For, because, we must all appear before the tribunal seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now let's think about that. Judgment. judgment seat, Bema seat. It's it's judgment in my Bible too. It's Bema, but if you'll look at, if you'll exegete that word there, and I'll just I'll tell you right now what it is. In uh, in the Greek, it's Bema, B E M A. It uh, goes on down. There's lots of definitions. Uh, it's a structure, but it is a, a form of a tribunal. A rostrum, a judgment seat, uh, a, 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 a throne, any of those words can be used to describe that. Well, the reason I want to amplify this today is because in the modern day grace message, which, which is not a good thing, and uh, uh, a lot of the grace teachers, Andrew Momuk's one of them, Derek, uh, not Derek, uh, Joseph Prince is one of them, Mike Williams, uh, uh, Jim Richards, I used to teach in his Bible school because I used to be in it to some degree. They believe that this is only a reward seat, not a tribunal. Because since we're born again, everything's covered, past, present, future, 
of any sins, anything we do, no matter what we do in our body, we will not have to give answer to that when we get to heaven. Well, that's erroneous. That grace doctrine is erroneous. In 2012, the Holy Ghost got a hold of me and corrected me. If you could, I could give you some CDs and tapes back when I was preaching some of that. And it stems, it actually the platform of, a, of, that, of this modern day grace message is strongly influenced by hyper-Calvinism, which uh, one facet of Calvinism says that everything and everybody will eventually be saved, will be restored, even the devil and his angels. I was looking forward to getting into some of that with you about uh, the tulip system and, and, and really break it down for people because it's really done a disservice since the 1500s to the church. It was a doctrine of devils and it came in and it has really, uh, it has really devastated the, uh, the effect of the Lord Jesus and his, his ministry on the earth. It, it causes complacency. What's the use? Just come in. Punch clock with God. Get your fire insurance. You're good. Going to heaven. But but let's look at this judgment seat here at the, when this happens. He says that we're going to give an account for everything that we've done in this body, uh, 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 whether it be good or bad. So there's going to be good things that we've done. And and by the way, the good things that we do for God is is from your spirit. See, like for example, if God spoke to me to build a ministry and build a church. And, and have an edifice like this, and I obeyed him, I would receive a reward for that. But if I got mad at my pastor and uh, took a, you know, a big bunch of the people from the congregation and started this and built the same thing, identically, everything, I would not receive a reward. I would receive a chastisement for that on this day. So this Bama seat. Now my question personally is does it happen when we, when our bodies dissolved? Is Brother Delmer facing this now, or is it going to be when we're all gathered up together and it's going to be a big, big uh, meeting that'll last a couple thousand years, getting everybody's laundry aired out? I don't know. Now the things that we've done, that we've repented of, and God has gotten it out of our hearts. See, we'll never see those again. Now, I taught a whole series on the judgment seat here. Uh, year before last, I guess. Uh, so if you want to get into more in that, then you know, we've, we've got CDs for that. But the reason I believe that God wanted me to share this today is what Brother Delmer told me the other day. This, this is a revelation. Terry said she's heard somebody say this before, but I never had really heard this and he, he was crying when he was telling me on the phone he said, he said brother this is what's happened he said the Holy Spirit showed me that our life is a, a corridor hallway he called it he said along that hallway is doors to rooms in our heart and he said that he was able to visit each and every room and clean it out he said things came back to me that I had forgotten where I had wronged people and hurt people. Different areas of his life. He, he opened every door. Visited every room. 
He said, and at one point I thought I was done. And the Holy Spirit said, no, there's more rooms. And he took him into more rooms. So Delmer Owens got to experience something that I've never heard of and was the greatest gift anybody could ever get while on this earth. And that was to clean his heart completely up. And I told Terry, I said, after the fact, I said, Jesus was getting him ready. Oh, how I hope that happens to me. Because there's things in my heart that is hidden that I may have forgotten. I try to live the right way toward people. There's people in my life, in my past, that I still would like to smack. I'm just honest. That man I mentioned to you a while ago, Jim Richards, the head of that ministry, Impact Ministries in Huntsville, Alabama. I was sitting in my office one day. I had been working with a drug addict that, uh, that I was really making a lot of progress with. And uh, he was a huffer. Some days you'd see him and he'd have silver around his face. Other days it'd be white because he was huffing. And so I was really making a lot of progress with him. And Jim walked in and he'd come off of a trip. He was a traveling evangelist teacher. So he walked into my office there and got all over me. How dare you? He said, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just telling you people, my old flesh wanted to rise up. The window in my office was about 15 feet off the ground. And I can't tell you how close I came to throwing that man out of it. So I left the ministry not long after that. His ministry. Because that was in my heart to do. And Brother Delmer got to clean everything like that in his life out. He'll probably just be an observer when we get there. Watching all of our stuff. Because he got to clean his out. I'm asking the Holy Spirit how to share this tomorrow a little bit of this story with people. Because it's a powerful testimony. I mean, Delmer himself, when I first met him, when he wanted to start coming here to church, he, he divulged a lot of things to me that I could understand why some preachers wanted to keep him at arm's length. Uh, but all that's taken care of now. He's with Jesus shouting the glory of God today. But verse 10 here says, For we must... We must all appear. It, the word must there is dia. It means, it means necessary. This is extreme necessary. There's a need. It behooves us. Great necessity that we appear. Why? Why can't he just do like the proverbial magic wand and make all of our sins and stuff go away? Well, when we understand the nine attributes of God, we understand that he cannot override anybody's choices. He can't. That's, that comes from Calvinism. People that believe, well, you know, God can just... He lets things happen to teach us. No, He sent the Holy Spirit to do that. 
So he can't just magically waive things that we've done, things that we've not confessed, things that we've kept secret in our hearts and not been able to face and not been able to fess up about it. You know, they're going with us. All that's going with us to heaven. Your soul doesn't come separated. Your, your soul and spirit's together. And so all those things are still in our heart. And we cannot live the joyous presence of God in heaven with things like that in our hearts. So that tribunal seat is to get rid of all of them. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Amen? <laughs> Look at verse 11. Knowing there for the terror <laughs> of the Lord, we persuade, we persuade men, we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on behalf, of, on behalf that you may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. Verse 14 says, for the love of Christ constrains us. That means that it, it, it really is necessary that the motivating factor in our lives, everything that is, the, the thing that should be behind everything we do is love for God and love for people. That's why I say that at offering time. I don't want people paying tithes and giving money because it's their, they feel obligated, they feel like it's their duty. And, uh, and more specifically, because they're trying to get God to bless them somehow. I, I just, I've always had a negative thing in my heart. Ever since I was a little boy, when I was 14, starting preaching, I, I always felt like that. But, but the love of Christ is what is to constrain us and, 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 and kind of throttle us in our lives and our behaviors and everything that we do and say. I hope that maybe this will strike some kind of a chord with you today to really get in your private place with the Lord and, and really say, Lord, just open my heart up. Let, let me see what's really in there. Do for me what you did for Delmer and see what's in there so that I can get rid of it, you know. I mean, don't even be surprised if the Lord doesn't have you go to someone and say, look, this happened a long time ago, but here I am. Forgive me. There's such cleansing. I've had to do that before. I criticized my brother-in-law as a preacher, and I had such a bad attitude about him. Uh, because my daughter and his son were going to church there, I knew what they were hearing, and it just—I didn't like, didn't agree with. Of course, Kristen's heard me enough to she just kicks stuff out, you know. She hears, and so the Holy Spirit. I went on a ten-day fast, and the Holy Spirit brought him to me. He said, "You're going to have to go apologize to him." So I went over there, and I. Uh, I said, Ricky, I need to apologize to you. And he sat back in his chair like that. He said, what have I done to you? I said, nothing. And I apologized to him. And I'm telling you, there was such a cleansing in my heart just, just by obeying that. I didn't care. I, don't, I mean, I'm not looking to save face. My God. If people follow me around long enough, they're going to say, you know what? I don't know if we need to listen to that man or not. Amen. Let's just live honestly before the Lord and before people.
keep ourselves cleaned up. Amen. Did y'all get anything out of this today? Amen. All right. Glory to God.